Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Coach the Coach Radio. Brought to you by the Business Radio X Ambassador Program. The no-cost business development strategy for coaches who want to spend more time serving local business clients and less time selling them. Go to brxambassador.com to learn more. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Coach the Coach Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today we have with us Leslie Jones with The Spiral Method. Welcome, Leslie. Hi, Lee. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us a little bit about the spiral method. How are you serving folks? Well, uh, gosh, I've been coaching and consulting for 25 or 30 years now. Um, spiral method is a group facilitation practice, actually, for leaders and executives and cult- consultants who want to get more out of their teams. Um, it's, it's really about the community management and bringing people together so that everyone has a voice in the room. Um, there's a lot more to say about it, but, but that's the bottom line is it's, it's about the community maintenance and sustenance of a thriving community. Now, what's your backstory? How did you get involved in coaching? I've had quite a windy path, Lee. I, I have a degree in psychology, and I've, I've always been entrepreneurial. I've had a lot of uh, different businesses over the years that I've started. Um, I, primarily, I just always wanted to positively change the way human beings live and interact in community and transform the way that we're connecting with ourselves and with others and with something bigger than ourselves. So that's been my mission in every one of my companies that I started. And so Spiral Method has, has evolved from there, just from the, the work that I've done with, with groups. I, I've, I saw so many groups fizzle out or blow up and people not understand why um, and what was happening with the team dynamics. And so that's, that's how Spiral Method was born. Now you use the word community. How are you defining community? Is community the folks in the organization? Is folks, is it the folks, you know, they're even larger, their clients and, um, and stakeholders beyond that? Is it the place they live and work? Like, how are you defining community? What a great question. Thank you, Lee. Um, I mean, community, it's, it's any group of people, right? That I, we do spiral method with birthday parties or um, with at a wedding with the wedding party. Um, we, we do team and culture work. And yes, that does extend to lar- the larger community as we reach out to other stakeholders, to board members, even to clients. And so it is up to whoever is wanting to define that, what, who the leader wants to impact. Usually we start with a core group and it ripples out. The, the impact is much larger than the people that are spiraling, actually. Now, did you have some sort of kind of an epiphany or an aha moment where you were like, you know what, a lot of coaching or a lot of these interactions are one-on-one, one person impacting another person, but you felt that you can get more bang for your buck maybe if you kind of brought in the whole community and kind of let some of the network effects take it in place? Well, it it is. It's hugely. So yes, I spent much of my career and I still do work with people one-on-one, but the results are exponential when we're growing together. And so 
when I would sit, when I would spiral with people, everyone would have this magical experience and, and they would say, you're an amazing leader. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's part of it. And they would say, well, we're really great group members. Well, yeah, that's true. But I did it yesterday and the same thing happened. So what's going on here? And the, it's the method itself is causing emotional intelligence and, and a communication skill set. And so people are getting trained without even knowing it. And by the end of a spiral, people are in a flow state. And so we're more focused, we're clear, we feel satisfied, we're more present and grounded. And so um, anything that happens in a group setting seems to me to have, as you say, a bigger bang for our buck. Now, is this something, um, I think on your website, you use the phrase better together. Is this something that people can learn on their own or do you need a trained facilitator to really kind of wring out the most value from this methodology? Yeah, this business, we are really committed to the scalability of this. Every human being that I've, that I've had spiral with me has a profound impact. And so we're really training the trainer. We are teaching leaders to facilitate spiral, and then they can apply that wherever they want to apply it. It's quite uh, applicable and customizable. And so we've got a certification program, and um, it's a one-year program to certify uh, coaches, consultants, and leaders that want to bring this to whatever community they want to impact. And then is this certification, is this primarily for existing coaches or is this, they could just be a leader of an organization that they're, they're not like a formal coach in any regard, but they're just a leader in organization. Like what's an ideal facilitator look like? Yeah, good. It's both actually. So um, coaches are using this to build peer groups. And this is how I started with it was um, bringing my one-on-one -on -one clients into a peer group setting and, and allowing for that exponential to grow growth to happen and for them to have a lot more resources in each other. So, you know, this is about the collective wisdom. It's also a, uh, for leaders who want to enhance their facilitation skills, right? Because th this is a prof, uh, a very effective method in and of itself, but learning how to deliver this method enhances facilitation skills. So really our program is for both audiences and it's doing both. It's giving you a method as well as enhancing your facilitation skills. Now, do ideal facilitators have certain qualities or certain personality traits? <laughs> you know, the, the, this is a general answer, but what I've found are the people that are best suited for us are the ones that are just fiercely committed to community and to impact, you know, the, I don't know if I already said this, but when, when people come into spiral, what I found is that people, whether at work or at a birthday party or at a wedding, wherever we are, we are, people are craving authentic connection. The, in an, in a short spiral session, we get heard and seen in ways that we are not getting heard and seen in our daily life, even with our spouses or our best friends, because this is a very solid container that creates safety and the opportunity for authenticity and real conversations that we're not having otherwise. And so, um, yeah, people that are just fiercely committed to community and impact and to developing thriving and sustainable groups of people. 
Now, do you find that um, people give a lot of lip service to community, but a lot of them don't want to do kind of the work of it or maybe to be vulnerable enough to really get the most out of it? Or they're trying to get do it at scale too quickly and that they're not really willing to be as intimate as you need to be in order to really facilitate that level of authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. Here's so so there's always resistance. If we say, hey, let's get together a group meeting and we can all be vulnerable. Most people don't say, great, I can't wait. Right. Um, We always need to calibrate to the group and to the levels of safety that are there or not there. So there's an element that's part of the facilitation skill, you know, is going slow enough to build something. And, and if we go too fast and too hard, it'll backfire, right? So there's that calibration that's really important. The other thing that's so cool about spiral method is as a facilitator, you are also a participant. And part of the value of that is that as a facilitator, we get to be part of the group. We get to be part of the community, not on a pedestal. Um, Yeah. And the other piece is that we get to role model vulnerability. And there's a whole skill set around how to do that well. But, But we as leaders have to continue doing our own growth work. And to do that with our constituents makes a profound difference. And this is um, also embedded in the practice. Now, could you share a little bit about what a session looks like? Is there a way to kind of demonstrate, uh, to give people a taste of what they would experience in a spiral session? Yeah, I mean, so we do have three games that we play and the games have very clear rules to them. Prior to starting any of those games, we kind of set the foundation, we, we create agreements, we have, we have some solid agreements, but we also co-create agreements with the group. That whole conversation is part of setting a fertile ground for safety and for effectiveness of the games. Um, and the games are, they're, they are very simple. Everyone has equal floor time. Um, we get right to the heart of the matter. So like the first game is we just do a finish the sentence, we call it. And it's just finish a sentence stem. Um, We custom design those questions based on the intention of the meeting. And they're not, it's not like a check-in, like finish the sentence check-in. And they're not paragraph answers. They're succinct answers getting right to the heart of the matter and moving around very swiftly. So in about 15 minutes, we have a lot of information now and and people are more present as well. And then the the follow-up games build on that. That's about 40% of Spiral Method. There's a lot of advanced games and advanced um, exercises that we do, but um, they're all very integrated and collective wisdom oriented, right? Versus um, I think what we see in historical change management or leadership training programs. Um, I've seen a lot of exercises that are, are almost fragmented or, you know, let's do this and, and, and see what happens. Like this all builds on what, what happened in the last session or in the last hour. Now, does it work best for certain size communities? Like, does it work better for 10 to 25 as opposed to 100 to 250? 
Yeah, good. We 12 is the magic number. Um, you can do, you know, anything between four to 16 people. Uh, and, and then, and then look at how to grow from there. So I, you know, I imagine a lot of pods is how it goes as in a company, especially. And then do they delineate those pods by, you know, kind of where they're working or is it better to cross pollinate? Both, both. It, it, it very much depends on the goals that we're trying to um, reach with a group. So when we do our team and culture program, Lee, we'll start with 12 people, um, the leadership team and or pulling people in from different parts of the organization. So I just worked with a company and there was an executive assistant and a manager that were pulled into the spiral session and felt completely honored and it, it, it shifted their experience of being in that company and their um, owning their power and responsibility in the company. Now, are you finding that in today's um, kind of chaotic atmosphere that we're all uh, kind of working through, that people are hungrier for cultural or operational kind of spirals? Oh, my goodness, cultural for sure people being isolated, working out of their homes, trying to create collaboration and connection over Zoom. So we are having a lot, excuse me, my voice, I'm losing my voice. We're having a lot of success over Zoom and um, bringing people back together from the isolation they've been experiencing. There's always an operational component that that we kick up through the culture work, and then accountability amongst the team for grounding everything that came up during the spiral. Now, um, when you're working with an organization, uh, you must have had, I would imagine, a variety of successes. Um, Can you share maybe your most impactful or memorable ways that you've um, helped the team get to a new level? I mean, um, and then obviously don't name the name of the organization, but maybe yeah. tell a little bit of the backstory of what they were struggling with and how this helped them reach a new level. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's one, one example that's coming to mind as you ask the question. Um, we do public feedback exercises once there's enough safety in the group. And often what, so this company has rated themselves, uh, six or seven in the beginning of a three-month spiral program on things like safety, conflict management, being a healthy team versus a broken team. And they were generally at the six or seven range, all, you know, um, in their ratings of their effectiveness as a team on some of those scales. They're all, they're rating now eight, nine, and tens. And we only spent 12 hours with them. One of the key exercises is public feedback. And so whenever over my career, I've asked groups, who really wants feedback from your colleagues? Everyone raises their hand. And then I ask, who feels free to give feedback? And a couple people raise their hand usually. So I started looking at what's going on in spaces where people want feedback, but people don't give feedback. And it is all about the safety. And so we had a 20 minute conversation to look at why this team is not feeling free to give feedback. 
And prior to that conversation, no one wanted to get on the hot seat and receive public feedback. And after 20 minutes, I said, okay, who would like to now go on the hot seat and receive public feedback today? And everyone raised their hand. So it's the pre-conversations that make the that make the difference, right? We just talked about why do you not want to give feedback? Why does it feel scary to be on this on the hot seat and receive public feedback? That 20-minute conversation popped it open such that everyone was volunteering to hear public feedback from each other. Now, is some of that that people don't know how to give feedback? You know, like, great job. I don't know how useful that is when it comes yep. to feedback. Yep. We distinguish, but we distinguish compassionate, loving feedback. Ver- so I, let me see. There's a couple answers. I think one, people have judgment or emotion around someone's behavior. And so there, those are obstacles to just being able to give black and white feedback that will serve the other person. So we first have to be able to set aside our emotion or our judgment. Along those lines, you know, people over the course of my career, I'd be coaching people and they would say, um, I have feedback for someone. And I'd start digging in a little bit. And then I would find out they didn't have feedback for the person. They were just really upset about something. That's a different conversation. Right. So we have to distinguish between what types of communications are we having in our feedback exercise. Um, we, we do compassionate critique, basically. And the other thing that we distinguish is that most of us have received feedback over the course of our lives that came with anger or shame or agenda. And so we're healing. When we do public feedback exercise, we're healing something. And we're learning how to give effective feedback that is to serve someone. And that's it. That's the purpose is to serve. And uh, lastly, we we also give positive feedback. And so we talk about the person's gifts and the contribution that they are. That's a whole other piece of groups and cultures that goes that that falls you know under the table that that were were acknowledgement and appreciation is something that gets lost in the mix of the minutia of how busy we all are well i find that feedback is one of those things that it's harder than it looks like in order to do it well you have to really pay attention and listen actively and really want to have a heart of trying to help that person And not just kind of skim through something or just kind of casually listen and then just agree with whatever they're saying. That's right. And and they need to know that we're coming from love, that we're coming from service, right? I found early on in my coaching career that I could say anything to people as long as they knew there was, you know, as long as there was love and trust there. Um, And that those kind of potent conversations and potent feedback are the ones that make the biggest difference. Now, for the coaches out there that maybe are having a hard time differentiating themselves, can you talk a little bit about how becoming a certified uh, spiral method facilitator can help them grow their business? Yeah, well, that's a good question. Um, the 
the way that I started again was with, with my peer groups. And so I found that my clients, I I kept all my one-on-one clients and I, I also added this community element. And so I had, I had a great relationship and great understanding of my clients and could subtly bring their growth and what I knew about them into the group experience. And then again, they're, they're getting all of the resources and the collective wisdom of a group of 10 to 12 peers. And so that, that made my services so much more robust and it developed the community in a way that my groups became a marketing arm for me. They, my clout and my reputation in the larger community uh, was exponentially raised uh, because of the spiral method group and people talking about it and the transformation that was happening with the group members, the larger community could see what was happening and say, what are you doing in that group? These people are approachable. They are listening. They're softer. Their lives are working better. Right. So there, there was a lot, there's a lot that happens when you get a spiral group going. And then um, as the spiral method uh, keeps continuing to evolve, uh, is your emphasis now on just training more facilitators? Are you doing more things like what does the future hold for you guys? I mean, yeah, it's, it's quite an exciting time right now. Um, I'm not sure if you know, Lee, but we just brought on a veteran, a veteran entrepreneur and investor, Greg Greenwood. So he's coming on to help me really lead the company um, and strategy and growth and serving clients. Um, we do have the certification program to train other facilitators. And whenever we do our team and culture program with companies, a a couple of their people get certified so that we don't have to hang around for years on end and facilitate. We are training them up so that they can do that for themselves in their culture. Now, if there's someone out there that wants to learn more, have a more substantive conversation with you or somebody on your team, what's the website? Uh, Spiralmethod.com. Very simple. And um, there, there are obvious ways to connect on there. Our newsletter, um, setting up a consultation with one of my team members or me. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing important work and we appreciate you. Oh, Lee, thank you so much. It was great to be here. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We will see you all next time on Coach the Coach Radio. Yeah.